I am Milo Pizzell, the Editor-in-Chief of the Aikens Eagle's Eye, and I am here today with Heba Dalu, the In-Depth Editor, and Kaya Newton, the News Editor of the Eagle's Eye. We will be discussing the insurrection, what it means, and what the future looks like for the United States. On January 6th, just after 1 p.m., a large group of Trump supporters stormed the Capitol building to protest the certification of the 2020 election. These supporters were able to find their way into the Capitol building, onto chamber floors, and into the offices of Representatives Nancy Pelosi and Representative Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez. The entire day would leave five people dead, most notably a Trump supporter shot in the early hours of the surge and a police officer beaten to death with a fire extinguisher. This has been called an insurrection by many, and the FBI has begun treating it as such, but it raises the question, what is an insurrection? How did this begin, and what do we do now? Before we dive in, I'd like to stress that this podcast is going to allow for reflection on all of the events that happen, and as such may not be entirely objective. But let's start by defining. I am Milo Bazell. I'm the editor-in-chief of The Eagle's Eye, and I think we should start with defining an insurrection. In its textbook definition, an insurrection is an act or instance of revolting against civil authority or an established government. While I think this is one fair assertion of what happened, I don't think it entirely captures everything that led up to it and all the pieces that went into play. I think giving it this definition lets it fall in line with a lot of rebellions and insurrections that were driven by the idea of creating a greater good for the nation that it happened in. What we really saw here, in my opinion, was a coup, an attempt at one, a failed coup, in which people led by someone in power stormed the occupying government for the purpose of instilling that person in power to ultimate power within the nation. And so I think calling it an insurrection aligns it with a cause that isn't really at the heart of it. It aligns it with something noble instead of something really fueled by the ego of the 45th president. I think that um, something that can really like define the difference between them is like like you were saying, normally an insurrection, it's people who are fighting against like a government, but these people were kind of fighting with the government. Like they were at the rally uh, with Trump uh, right before they went and had their, you know, their coup, their failed attempt coup, um, where he was telling them, you know, like fight, fight like hell, don't go home. Like, and he was basically, you know, inciting violence and instigating everything that went down. Yeah. And so that just kind of shows the difference of an and insurrection fair, is more of a noble cause. People fighting, fighting against this, oppression. They don't see it that way. They preserve, see themselves you know, as their rights against oppression. People fighting this, this for oppression, oppression that they're kind of experiencing, quote unquote, um, themselves. Kind of like with the this idea that they're being censored and what we saw, kept so. quiet and out of power as conservative people. They have this like wholehearted belief in that, and they believe that what they were fighting for as they fought to stop the steal was they were fighting for this kind of prevalence of justice. But it's kind of anti-democratic in its core. Um, we look at the election results, we look at the four or five recounts that happened, and the amount of money that was poured into these recounts. 
And we see consistently, not only is the popular vote not falling in favor of President Trump, the mm-hmm. popular vote was not falling, the, the electoral vote wasn't falling in his favor either. There was like, he wasn't coming out on top in any way. And the amount, like the vast amount of like vote differences for them to, to think that it was like, you know, voter fraud, it's it's kind of like far-fetched, I guess, but just because of what people were being fed, you know, like in the media, that's really what led them to go that route. But I also think it's really interesting how they were fighting against censorship and like uh, like media kind of like controlling things, but like the media being kind of like fake, I guess, like false news is kind of what led them to those beliefs in the first place. So it's a, it's a very like, it's a very tricky like mind manipulation that they were in. Yeah, like this idea that like the media is pushing forward these lies and they want you to believe that the election is is for Biden when the truth is they're shredding ballots and they're doing all of this and the media is a part of the cover up. Mm. When like directly the places that they're getting this information from is just other forms of media. Mm. I think a lot of times we like to put perceived media and its power into different boxes. Mm. Like we like to have this box that contains printed news and printed media. We like this box that likes to contain things like CNN and Fox News and MSNBC. And then we have this box that likes to hold social media. Mm-hmm. When we use all three as sources to get information, which kind of comes down to what caused this and what led us into this mm-hmm. is the misinformation and, and QAnon. And the fact that he was previously like partially impeached in his presidency should show that like his approval rating was not as high. Like it would it would have been really like crazy for him to win by a landslide. Like they were saying due to the fact that like he he lost respect from so many different people over his years of presidency. Yeah, another thing is they were just super intense about their denial. Like why was it so hard for them to believe that Trump loss like just look at what he's mm-hmm. done like i think it's it's truly hard for anyone to look back at what he's done the past four years and say he had a positive impact on our country like i don't know i just think it's so funny that all these people are fighting over results that have been certified time after time and it, it's yeah it's just disconcerting to be honest and i think a part of this steadfast belief falls back once again into QAnon. um QAnon is this means of conspiracy theory held within conservative beliefs. How I've had it described to me by Q believers is that QAnon is a person who has access to all of the information and truth within the government, which is a crazy, scary thought that (laughs) there's this person who somehow has been able to attain anything and everything you could possibly want to know about the happenings of the government that people don't want to tell you. But he's choosing to tell people through Facebook groups and through coded messages. And QAnon in itself, when you first get introduced to the rhetoric, doesn't seem horrible and scary like that. 
you know it doesn't seem like this man who just knows everything oftentimes when you're getting introduced to Q QAnon rhetoric it's through this idea of saving the children it's through this idea that like children are under attack by democrats in power and it is our job as conservatives to protect these kids which is a noble cause you are a part of this rallying team to keep children safe. Who could possibly dislike you? And who could possibly fight against you? And it's really strange, like whoever like crafted it, like had that in mind, just like, and also pitting people against, like saying that Democrats are like out to get children. Like if you're a conservative, like you're saving kids, just like, and it starts with like that broad idea. And once people grasp that, like, okay, well, anything that, we as conservatives are doing is going to like help these kids like it's going to yeah. help the kids and the person knows that this is happening they can prove mm -hmm. it to me and so it becomes really easy to suddenly think that not only are you in the right you have access to knowledge no mm -hmm. one else does and, yeah. and so when this person named Q, this anonymous person, tells you they're stealing the election. They're stealing the election because they want more child predators in power. They're stealing this election because they don't want conservatives in power. And it's really strange, like, whoever created this uh, type of, like, manipulative uh, ideology kept in mind that like we're protecting kids because now anything that they do is justified by like oh we're protecting kids so it's like it's 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 like the things that they're inciting like violence and things like that it doesn't really help anyone but in the back of their head they're like well we're we're in the right we're protecting kids people who don't believe that they're brainwashed they don't know what's really going on we have access to like real information so it makes it even harder to like reroute the course of this just because of how twisted it is in their head and how like protecting kids is kind of like a core value of like human brain yeah this is it's a core value of the human brain it appeals to this almost primal instinct to take care of those that we see as like naive mm -hmm. and weak but let's take it out of that context let's take it out of this idea of protecting kids and let's just talk about theories that have been put forward by QAnon I would like to specifically look at representative Marjorie Taylor Greene I want to look at representative Marjorie Taylor Greene she has consistently been in the news a lot lately because she is a representative elected in Georgia who is strongly a believer in QAnon, who believes that she is receiving coded messages from QAnon. Parts of her beliefs fall, I'll mention the main three. She believes that the election was stolen. She believes that the California wildfires were caused by Jewish space lasers. And she believes that the Parkland and Sandy Hook shootings were faked. So much so, if you Google Marjorie Taylor Greene right now, you can find a video of her yelling at David Hogg in the streets, telling him that what he did was acting, was acting, telling him that he's a paid actor attacking Second Amendment rights as he goes to tell his story of surviving the Parkland shooting. 
And she does this on Capitol Hill. Not only that, until today, until the House was forced to take a vote to remove her from her committee, Marjorie Taylor Greene sat on the Public Education Committee. What, what this becomes for people is, here is Marjorie Taylor Greene telling a truth that other people aren't prepared to address. For people who believe oh, in QAnon, no. Marjorie Taylor Greene is a martyr. Yeah, it sounds, that's, that's what I was exactly the word I was thinking. It's kind of like a martyr situation. They're like, oh, she's yeah. taking these big balls for us to like publicly go down, like, because she's she, saying the truth and people are scared of the truth. She's speaking where mm -hmm. no one else will. And she's representing a silent majority, right? That's what they mm -hmm. call themselves. They refer to themselves as the silent majority and you think that it's really easy to think maybe this is just proof that they're right. That there are more people engaged in this mm -hmm. than we know until you look at her election in her district and you find out she bullied the candidate against her until they dropped oh, out of the race. So she just bullied her way into power. She bullied her way into power. It's a lot of brain games. It makes it seem like you're, like, they make it seem like there's a lot of them, like they have a noble cause, like you're stupid if you don't know this. Yeah, is if we don't already have enough. And more so over to me, what I always think when I think of QAnon is they start you off really simple and then they bring you into deeper, deeper conspiracies. It can start off as simple as like, there are people attacking children and we're protecting them. And then it goes into, exactly. and they're faking yeah. terrorist attacks to make us believe that they are still good people. And then it goes to, mm -hmm. they are exploiting this and they are using this to get to, from point A to point B. Mm -hmm. It sounds like a cult. It's just an excuse to justify more violence and hatred in this country as if we it don't does. already it, have enough. It makes me think a lot of how like modern media like platforms function, like the software they use, like, you know, like TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, where say like, um, say you like one thing, you know, about like sports. So then you get like some sports stuff on your page and then you like you're like like something with a football in it and then you have a bunch of like football things and then before you know it you know like everything yeah. about like this one specific like incident in football but then applying it to like these crazy conspiracies so like oh yeah like oh we want to save the kids and then it's like more posts about like oh mm -hmm. did you know that these democrats are the people that are putting the kids in danger and you're like oh more about that and then crazy things about like Parkland shooting being fake because like Democrats like paid people to do it. And then Exactly. <laughs> do you remember Pizza Gate? Yeah. Two years ago when the guy walks into the pizza shop in DC mm -hmm. wholeheartedly believing that Hillary Clinton is in the basement torturing children. He walks in with two ARs. I do not remember the number, so I will not say it. In a knife on him. He's pointing his gun at children. He's walking past, like, as waiters are having to hurriedly get people out of this restaurant because he's convinced that someone inside is hurting kids. Mm -hmm. And that he's the only person in the world brave enough to do this. And it sounds like a cult. I think when I think of the events of January 6th, I also think of Waco and what happened with the Branch Davidians, in which David Koresh kind of convinced them he is this messiah 
he is hearing direct. He has the most true, faithful interpretation of the Bible. And he has all of these means to protect people and all of his wives and all of these children that he's helping create to make the world a better place. And if you are not willing to lay your life down for that, do you truly believe in God? Like this is the rhetoric held by Branch Davidians. And it feels eerily similar to what QAnon allowed for Trump supporters to believe in for the events of January 6th that happen. This idea that Trump is this brave voice speaking out for conservatives, saying the truth when no one else is brave enough to say this truth we're all thinking and we're all feeling, and they've taken something from him, something he rightfully deserves and earned. Um, I have spent a lot of time reading and researching for this podcast episode. And what I fell down this long rabbit hole of doing was reading actual quotes from people who were at the January 6th coup, insurrection, whatever you would like to call it, people who were at the Capitol on January 6th. Most notably, the things that I am remembering is phrases like, all Trump needs to do is give the bat signal, and then the patriots come, and then comes the pain. Phrases like, he told us to fight like hell. They aren't pointing towards their belief in what it means to be an American patriot. They're pointing towards this person who has inspired them mm -hmm. to speak out for something that they don't really clarify they believe mm -hmm. in. They don't believe in policy. They don't believe in what he's doing. They believe in him. And I think that's really, that's what it comes down to. And I think this really leads us well into impeachment mm -hmm. and Trumpism in a world without a Trump presidency, mm. which is, he's been impeached now for the second time. Um, I would like to specify that the impeachment process is the articles are drafted and you can be found guilty of the articles and then be sent to convention. So conviction would make it so he could not run again and possibly put him in jail. Whereas impeachment just means he was found unfit to be president during his time or after his time. So this has now happened twice <laughs> for President Donald Trump. Um, the people who have come before him who have been impeached are Richard Nixon for the Watergate scandal and Bill Clinton for his high crimes and misdemeanors committed in the Oval Office with Monica Lewinsky. Both of these people were convicted, but through a lot of manipulation of the Senate, Trump managed not to. So we drafted these articles of impeachment. He's been impeached twice. He's got that double stamp. Now we are going into the Senate convictions. What the hope is now is that he will be found guilty and unable to run again. That is, that is the end goal. That is the dream. <laughs> um, Ted Cruz still believes that the election was stolen, but I mm -hmm. think that he allowed for the certification because of the events that happened. So I don't think Ted Cruz mm -hmm. necessarily has changed his tune, and I think he will be someone who votes 
that the president is not guilty. Or, sorry, I was just going to say, it's interesting to see how it will play out because a lot of the Republican senators that were fighting for him before mm-hmm. kind of changed after seeing like what happened, like that there were directly people like threatening their safety as well. Like when they saw that like themselves put in that place, they kind of shifted a little bit. At least some people like I heard that Ted Cruz or like when I was researching about it, like Ted Cruz kind of changed his stance a little bit. He would, it was kind of iffy because like Mitch McConnell has changed his has changed his. It was like, mm-hmm. is that maybe who you're thinking of? Oh, I'm sorry, I got confused. That was one of the people who was fighting against. Never mind. Nancy Pelosi was fighting. Um, with Ted Cruz afterwards and she was talking to him like why would you still like you were in this situation why would you still think that this is okay yeah that this is okay and I would my greatest fear is that we find no way to make it out of this the Mm -hmm. America we went into it as And I keep going back to what was said by Amanda Goldman at the inauguration when she read her poem, when she said, there is light if we dare, if we are brave, only if we are brave enough to see it. There is light only if we are brave enough to be it. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's just that like, I am willing to engage with black women and with women and women of color in general, more so about how we repair our nation than anyone else right now, or if it is just the power of that statement. But I think like Trumpism is unavoidable for all of us. We have all been radicalized. And I think when we say that term, we often see it as people being pushed super far left and being moved into liberalism in its most extreme forms. When conservatives who were hard, like diehard Trump supporters have also been radicalized just on the other end. And so like, what we are looking and pursuing is this idea of healing, unity, and bipartisanship. It's what everyone keeps saying. Can we achieve it? Yeah, I agree. Like it's, there's a lot of, of divide and even before, you know, like, like Trumpism kind of like stirred up a lot of the conflict. I feel like a lot of those QAnon people, like they've been there. They just now have an excuse to like act on their beliefs, you know? So like now that they're in the light, it's kind of like how, like, how are we going to deal with like, you know, moving like, like kind of, you know, trying to um, move up like enlightenment wise and like still dealing with the conflict of like those people, especially now that they feel more empowered due to Trumpism. Oh, and then also I just wanted to correct from earlier. Sorry, it was um, it was Goldman, not yeah. not Goldman, just for later so that we. Know. Yes. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I'll do it now. Um, the quote from Amanda Gorman. The quote from Amanda Gorman: "There is limit only if we're brave enough to be it." I don't know. I feel like people are like this goes back to just like the divide within the country. It's like people are either too far on the left or too far on the right. And so it's just really hard for anyone to find common ground right now. Um, I that people are just 
kind of blind to the other side's perspective and aren't open to kind of compromise, I guess. I think what it what I am left thinking of and kind of what the images of the insurrection make me feel the same emotions as is the videos of the Birmingham Children's Crusade during the heart of the civil rights movement. They're different emotions, obviously. They're drastically different reflections, but they fall into the same category for me. If you think about the photos of like the people marching in Birmingham where they're being hosed or where the dogs are attacking them, you know what I'm talking about? That is the Birmingham Children's Crusade. It was children from, I wanna say third grade through high school whose parents couldn't risk their jobs to protest against Jim Crow laws and whose children were willing to. And the point of these efforts was to expose white brutality. And I feel the same about what Trumpism has kind of allowed for us to do, which is here's this thing that we've always kind of accepted we have always accepted this quote unquote silent majority. All of us know it's there. We know that there are these people who think this. We know there are these people who feel this. Now we have their faces and we have their names mm -hmm. and we have the ways they're being communicated with. Mm -hmm. While I don't think it's as simple as people are making it out to be, specifically, I feel like Republicans in Congress are making it out to be as just now let's move on and let's be unified and happy. Let's throw up our peace signs and smile and wave. But I think this is the start. We found patient zero for this disease. Now we start curing it. We do the cleanup work because that's what I feel a lot of these first two years for Biden will be is just taking out the trash. And once we've done that, once we've walked into this house the bank just sold us, and we've cleaned it up, and we see the water damage, now we renovate. I think we need to view America like we're Chip and Joanna Gaines going into a fixer-upper. We'll throw in some shiplap and some white paint. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a good analogy, uh, especially considering I think it was 31 bills that he signed within his first like uh, two days, um, either like undoing stuff that Trump did or, or, you know, putting things in that needed to be put in, which is like crazy that or, like that many executive orders were put in like in that amount of time. Just to redo, just to undo the actions of an old president. We don't do stuff like that. Not this sweeping and yeah. drastic. Uh, yeah, I was going to say, it feels like we're yeah. just kind of like, we should just take a stethoscope to our nation's heart. Like there, there's just so many things that just need to be cured. And it's, I feel like Biden might, I don't want to be too optimistic about anything, um, but I feel like, yeah. I don't think it's a perfect solution. I think he's the band-aid. There we go. We may need stitches later. You know? <laughs> um, thank you guys so much for talking with me about this today. Yeah, of course. It's really nice to be able to talk and reflect and kind of look at this in all of its angles. I am Milo Bazell. I'm here with Heba Dalu, our in-depth editor, and Kaya Newton. This has been Squawk Talk. Thank you all so much for listening.